Be Hope Church, do you believe that today? That our God wants to do the impossible in your neighbor's life, but he wants to do it in your life too. Do you believe that today? You see, I know in Psalm 23, it tells us that God's love and mercy pursues us all of the days of our life. And so God is ready to do a miracle in your life today, amen? Well, I'm gonna pray for us because if I just stand up here and talk, it's gonna be mediocre, but you came here to hear a message from God today. So let us pray. God, we thank you that your presence is already here, that God, you go before us and you've ordained this moment in our lives. God, whether someone's here in person or online or in Ironton, God, you have something for them today. So God, I pray today that you would uh, remove all the distractions, the things that we have to do, the things that would keep us from experiencing your presence. And God, today I pray for the person that feels like they have no hope, that feels like in their life that, that you've given up on them and that they're alone. God, today would your Holy Spirit, would your presence speak to their heart. God, may they know that you are with them and that you have a plan and a purpose for them. So for all these things, God, we are believing them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, can we celebrate? We have so many things to celebrate. We had 22 baptisms last weekend. Amen. That's 22 lives that are changed by Jesus. And we are celebrating today that we have 135 teens and Hope Team members that are at retreat this weekend. And they are learning about a relentless God that is pursuing them. So let's praise God for their weekend and their experience and celebrate what we know God is gonna do. Well, I know you're in the clapping mood, so let's welcome everyone that's joining us online and in Ironton. We are so glad you're here. Believe God has something for you today. Our scripture is found today in Genesis chapter 37. And it says this, we're starting in verse 19. And it says, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into the cisterns. They say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, <laughs> our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. If you're an only child in the room, you're so thankful you never had siblings, right? <laughs> That's a crazy story, but I'm so excited to tell you today about a God who redeems. That in all the situations we find ourselves in, God has a plan and a purpose for your good. And so while you are seated, shake hands, high five, five people around you, and we'll get started.
Now, I need to ask you a question because we heard the story about siblings and siblings can sometimes be the worst, right? So how many in the room are the babies? The babies always get to go first. Raise your hand. If you're watching online, drop it in the chat. How about the oldest and the bestest? Yeah, I'm an oldest. Ironton, let's see all the middle kids. We thought we were gonna forget about you, but we didn't. And how about those only siblings? You're so thankful you never had siblings. Raise your hand. Well, whether you have siblings or your experience, sometimes we all know that siblings can be downright awful. And chances are you probably have the scars, whether they're emotional or physical, to prove it, right? And I grew up with all sisters, and sisters are the worst. Because here's why. I remember the moment that my sister announced to the entire cafeteria, including my crush, Justin, that I farted in my sleep. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. It's terrible, isn't it? And so not only did I never go to a sleepover again, but I harbored that resentment in my heart all the way to today where I announced it to all of you people. You see, sisters, they can like hold this grudge and we used it to justify every time we're mean. So every time my sister did me wrong, I'd say, well, at least I didn't tell the whole cafeteria, including your crush, about your nighttime flatulence that by the way, you can't even control. Sisters, they're the worst. Now I'm raising boys and let me tell you, it is a whole new ball game. Like I can't understand them. Because you see what happens is they hate each other one minute, then they bite and they scratch and they kick and they punch and then they're best friends again, right? You know what I'm talking about? Brothers, I can't understand them. For example, in my house, a couple weeks ago, I walk into my three-year-old's bedroom and I find him sitting on his bed holding $3 and a headless dinosaur. And I said to him, hey, bud, what do you got there? He said, it's pretty cool, isn't it? Bro-bro gave it to me. And cue my seven-year-old walking in and he's holding his wallet and $17. That's right, my seven-year-old sold my three-year-old a headless dinosaur for $17. And I said, Miles, do you think that's fair? And he said, well, I wanna buy a chinchilla. We're not buying a chinchilla. And he said, it's gonna take me forever to raise $400 by doing chores. And then he said something. Have your kids ever said something that's made you reconsider ever having kids again? You're like, why? Why did we do this? He said, and I quote, I know the fastest way to make money is to scam people. (laughs) I know, it's real, I didn't make any of that up. Obviously, we are absolutely crushing it as parents. And the real kicker is I made him give the, his brother the money back and they exchanged the dinosaur and my three-year-old is sobbing. And so we just agreed, we negotiated that he could pay his brother just $3 and keep the headless dinosaur, which makes no sense at all because I bought the dinosaur to begin with. And the lasting effect of this is that anytime we tell our three-year-old no, like, no, you can't have ice cream. No, we can't go to the park. He'll say, pity please, me give you all my money. (laughs) He tries to pay us now. I know, siblings, they're kind of awful. And chances are you've probably never been thrown in a pit by your siblings, but we can all agree that, that we have experiences with our siblings that make us relate to what Joseph went through. 
You see, most times people come to church and they say, I just, I can't read the Bible. It isn't relevant. I can't understand it. It doesn't apply to my life today. But it does, right? We all have experiences with our siblings. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do, is that I want you to read about Joseph's story because for the next few weeks, we're going to talk all about who Joseph is. And it's in chapters 37 through 50 in Genesis. And when you come to church, we'll talk about how you can see that in your life today. So read the Bible. It'll be so great. And we're in week two of our series, The God We Don't See. And it's all about how our experiences life don't always match who we think God is. And last week, Pastor Brad told us about the God who sees, that he could see in Joseph's life a future where he was going to use him in a mighty way. But he could also see some things in his character that needed to be refined. Before God could use him, he had to refine that in his life. And this week, we're going to talk all about belief and how belief will get us through most of life. But it's faith that trusts in a God who's a redeemer that changes everything. And so here's what I know, Be Hope Church. I'm going to need your help. Like, y'all are kind of quiet right now, so are you still with me? Yeah, all right. (laughs) I need all of the positive feedback. The negative one, you can tell somebody else, okay? But I need you to participate in this because I believe God has something for you today. So let me bring you up to speed on Joseph's story. He's one of 12 sons born to a man named Jacob. And in chapter 37, verse 3, it tells us, you're not going to believe this, that he was Jacob's favorite son. How rude is that? Could you imagine telling one of your kids, you're actually my favorite? And then to prove that, he gives him this ornate, bright-colored robe. It's really fancy. And it infuriates his brothers. They are so mad at him. And so his uh, brothers are um, jealous because of the robe, but also because Joseph has these weird dreams about grains and stars. And essentially, it represents that his brothers someday will bow down to him. (laughs) On top of the robe, Joseph says, hey, guys, I had this dream. And so at the beginning of our story, they said, here comes the dreamer. And they say, let's kill him. That's what happens. But, but they're, they're shepherds and they're out tending their flocks and Jacob, the dad, sends Joseph to check on them, which I think is really weird. Because at this time, Joseph is 17 and his oldest brother, Reuben, is 40. What is some 17-year-old gonna teach a 40-year-old about shepherding? But I think as a parent, perhaps Jacob is hoping that as Joseph goes out to the field, they'll roughhouse, they'll kick, they'll punch, they'll sort out all of their things, they'll let bygones be bygones, and they'll come back with this reconciled relationship. That's what we do as parents. We always hope for the best. But it's actually quite the opposite. You see, it tells us that as as Joseph is um, approaching Dothan, his brothers see him coming from a distance. How? They don't have find my friends on their phone. No, it's the stupid robe. It's so bright that they see him and they make this plan to kill him, change the plan, and instead, such a better plan, they're gonna throw him in a hole and sell him to strangers. So good. And in a moment, Joseph's entire life is changed. Can you believe that? And in a moment, Joseph, everything he's done into this part of his life is changed. Now, I listen to a lot of murder podcasts. I do. And it's always the spouse, and it always starts with jealousy. But today, it's about brothers, and it started with jealousy. And I need you to know this, that jealousy starts as something small in our hearts, and it leads to something greater. Jealous of someone's success, their stuff, 
their house, their spouse. Maybe you're jealous of what God's doing in someone else's life and not in your life. And when we have that jealousy in our heart, it turns to bitterness. And that bitterness, Be Hope Church, always leads us to do something we were not created for. And so Joseph finds himself in this hole. And I think it's interesting that it doesn't say that he complained about being there. We can all agree that him being put in a hole and sold to strangers is really bad, right? But, but he doesn't complain. You see, I think we have an advantage today because it's hard for us to really believe all the things that happened to him because we can just turn a couple pages and read how his story ends, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like we just flip through and we'd be like, oh, whew, something good's gonna happen. It's like, it's like watching a movie you've already watched. The other day it was a snow day and I introduced my seven-year-old to the movie Here Comes the Boom. Have you ever watched that? It's an old one with Kevin James and it's on Netflix. Go home and watch it. You don't have anything better to do. Do that today. And, and I love this movie because Kevin James is a school teacher and he, his um, school needs funding. And so because this is very realistic, he decides to become an MMA fighter. <laughs> it's gonna happen in the real world. Because the cash prize is, it's cash prize for both the winner and the loser. And so he decides to become this fighter and it's got this great storyline where you're rooting for the underdog and it's so funny. And you see, I've seen the movie before, so I know exactly how it ends. Uh, I also am a grown-up and know that any movie in the humor category is going to have a good ending, right? But I look over in my seven-year-old as Kevin James makes it all the way to Las Vegas in a professional MMA match. Not ever going to happen. He, he's getting the snot kicked out of him, and it's so bad. My seven-year-old has the blanket pulled up, just his eyes are peeking out. And I said, hey, bud, are you okay? And he's like, mom, I'm so scared. I don't know what's going to happen to him. And I was like, oh, that's so cute. <laughs> you see, sometimes I think when we read the Bible, we forget that these are people just like us. And we have this advantage that we know the story of the Bible. We know that God's people have hope and all that God does. But in this moment, when Joseph finds himself at the bottom of the pit, I don't think that Joseph knows someday his life is going to be successful. I don't think he knows that he will end up ruling in Egypt and God will help his dream to come true and he will save an entire nation from famine and eventually God will bring his brothers back into his life. I don't think Joseph knows that. You see, I think in the bottom of the pit, all Joseph can think about is why did he do this and how in the process of doing a small task for his dad, his entire life is changed and all he can see is the problem that surrounds him and how he wants out. I thought, what actually could Joseph see in the bottom of the pit? We know that when the Bible talks about pits in the Old Testament, it is these places that either people would dig a hole in the desert to catch wild animals, or they were dried up wells. And that's what Joseph is in. And it's probably three feet wide and 30 feet deep. That means he cannot get out on his own. I wonder what he could see. So I wanted to give you all that perspective today, and so I tried to save as many toilet paper rolls as I could, but if 2020 taught us anything, is that that's not to be wasted, you know what I mean? That was a joke, you can laugh at that. <laughs> but, but I do know that you all have something today that can give us a limited perspective, and it is called your pirate telescope. I raised boys, remember? All right, everybody get it out. 
I can see you who are not doing it. I see you in the back row. Look at your neighbor. They look so much better now, don't they? Online, if you're watching in a coffee shop, this could be weird, but do so at your own risk. Look around. It changes things, right? Uh, Some people are still not doing it. That's okay. All right, you can put your telescopes away. But I, I don't think Joseph can see much when he's in the pit. I wonder if as he looks up, if if he can see maybe the sky and the the sun. Maybe he can see the stars as the night progresses. Maybe he can see his brother's heads as they peer in to see if he's still alive. The reality is, is most of what he can see is the place where he's stuck. The pit. The place that's all around him that he wants desperately to get out of. And he can't do so on his own. You see, I think... I think you know the pit. It's those times in your life wherever you've had a pity party for yourself. You see what I did there? A pity party for your, thank you, somebody. It's those times where you've said, why me? Why now? Why this? I think the pit in your life could be as small as a bad day that turns into a bad week that turns into a bad month and everything's bad. It's all you can see is the dog puke on the carpet. It's that you owed money on your taxes. It's that your spouse is chewing so loud you can't hear the TV. You ever had one of those days? Sometimes I think the pit is the place like Joseph that we've suffered at the hands of someone else. It's the spouse that walked out on you. It's the kids that you're raising that no matter how hard you try, you cannot connect with them. It's waking up day in and day out and saying, there has to be more to life than this. I think the pit sometimes is the one we've dug ourselves. Have you ever dug yourself into a hole? It's the job you took for more success and for more money, and it's literally eating you alive. It's the habit that started on occasion and now you can't get through a day without doing it. Sometimes I think the pit in our lives is a place that doesn't make any sense. It's the loss that changed you forever. It's it's the diagnosis that you weren't expecting. It's the anxiety from the depression that you try to will yourself out of, but no matter how hard you try, it's always there with you. You see, I think you know the bottom of the pit. I think it's really interesting that in this moment, we have a choice. Will we believe in who God is and his ability to help us? In all of Joseph's story, we never once read that Joseph had a crisis of his faith. We don't read about it. And he walked all the way to Egypt. That's a long walk. And it doesn't say like he doubted God and he deconstructed his faith. It doesn't say all of that. Actually, it says quite the opposite. That in all things of his life, Joseph's life was defined by his faith. It was his faith that gave his life meaning when he became a servant to people he didn't even know. Or or when he was falsely accused of rape and thrown into prison and then forgotten in prison. You see, it wasn't those moments, those pits in his life that gave his life definition. It was the opposite. It was his faith. 
It was Joseph's faith in God that God was working beyond his current circumstance to give his life meaning. It was his faith that gave him favor with those around him. It was his faith that gave him wisdom when he needed it. It was his faith that gave him strength when he asked for it. It was his faith that gave him help to overcome his enemies. His faith defined his entire life. Now, Behope Church, do you want faith like that? That's a question you're supposed to answer. It. Do you want faith like that? I do. Because I know that in my life I'm going to have problems and I want faith that gets me through them. Well, I have good news for you today that in Hebrews chapter 13, it tells us that God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the same God that gave Joseph favor will give you favor. The same God that gave Joseph wisdom wants to give you wisdom if you ask for it. The same God that gave Joseph the strength that he needed when all the odds were stacked against him will give you strength when you need it. And the same God that helped Joseph overcome all of his enemies will help you overcome yours too. Is that not good news today? It's okay, we're gonna get there, I promise. Because this next part's really difficult. In order to do that, sometimes we have to wait. Oh, we do not like, I don't like to wait. Chick-fil-A's line's too long. I'm like, I don't care if that's the Lord's chicken. I'm going to McDonald's. <laughs> but sometimes we have to wait. There's this verse in Psalm, and it says this, that I waited patiently for God. I waited patiently for God. And he heard my cry. And what did he do? He lifted me out of the slimy pit. That's so gross, right? Nobody likes slimy pits, like ones that you're stuck in or these ones. But, but God lifted me out of that slimy pit when I waited patiently for him because he heard me and he set my feet on a solid rock. You see, the Bible is full of this theme of waiting. God makes a promise and then people have to wait. Abraham was promised that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And 25 years later, his wife gave birth to their son, Isaac. God's people were promised a land flowing with milk and honey. And they wandered in the desert for 40 years before they took a step into the promised land. And you see, the Israelites, if they quit marching in lap one, they wouldn't have seen the walls fall down. But it was seven days in the seventh lap on the seventh day when they got to see victory. And our friend Joseph was faithful to God for 40 years and then he was rewarded for it. 40 years and then God moved. And I hope you don't have to wait 40 years to see what's on the other side of your problem. But what I need you to know today is that if you give up too early, you may never experience how good our God really is. And if Abraham had to wait for 25 and the Israelites seven and Joseph 40, don't you think you're gonna have to go through some stuff? And, and guys, as we go through some stuff, can we not be faithful to God through it? If it takes all 40 years, can we trust that God is working? As we wait for God to move, can we praise him through our experiences? As we wait for God to move, Be Hope Church, can we have faith that says God is with me in the waiting and I know he's not done yet? Can we be a church that has great faith? Man, God is so good and he's with us. But in order to do that, we need faith. 
It needs to be more than just belief. We actually need faith. Hebrews 11.1 tells us this, that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see, which is the most nonsensical verse in the Bible, right? Like, have you ever been going through a problem, somebody quotes this to you, and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. They probably don't know what it means. (laughs) But here's what it says. It says that faith is trusting a God we don't always see. And when we do that, we have hope. You see, belief says this. If God, all that I know about him, he does X, Y, and Z, then I'll trust God. And faith says the opposite. It just takes action say, God, I'm gonna trust you despite the outcome. And it gives us this hope, and hope is such a powerful word. We are Be Hope Church. So by our very name, we should be people of great faith. Hope is faith that trusts in a coming good based on who the character of God is. That was really good. You should write that down. I'm gonna try to say it again the same way. Hope is faith that trusts in a coming good based on who the character of God is. That's powerful stuff. I don't really think you're following me, so we need an example. I believe that you believe that this is a chair, right? I believe it has four legs. I believe that it's made out of wood. I really don't believe that. Actually, it's our dining room chair, and we've had it since we've been married for 15 years, and when we bought our furniture, the salesman (laughs) threw it in for free, and ain't nobody given free stuff that's worth anything. So I don't really believe that it is wood. I also believe that this is not really leather, because when it rips, I use a Sharpie to color it in. I'm thrifty like that. I believe if you look hard enough, you'll probably find macaroni and cheese stuck to it somewhere. I believe that this is a place where we sit as a family to have meals, to host Thanksgiving. It's a place where we play Play-Doh, do our homework. Sometimes it's a place where we argue. It's a place where we plan our budgets. That's usually what's causing the argument. (laughs) It's a place where we plan for our future. And I believe I really like this chair. I love this chair. It's like Ron Burgundy. I love lamp. But, but all that doesn't make sense because at the end of the day, we all believe one thing, that if I go to sit in this chair, I believe it's gonna hold me up. All right, here goes nothing. Are you ready for it? Just joking, I'm not gonna sit in the chair because here's what I think. I think most of you approach your faith in God like I talked about this chair. You believe in God. You believe Jesus was real. You believe Jesus did good things. You believe most of the stories of the Bible because you've all watched The Chosen and now you are experts. (laughs) You you believe that uh, there's an afterlife, that you believe heaven is better than hell and you'd rather go there. You, You believe that God is good. You believe in right and wrong and that if you are good, God will be good to you. You see, you believe all of those things, and none of that's bad stuff. It's all good stuff, because belief is really important to our relationship with God. We say it every week here at Be Hope Church. When we say Romans 10.9 is that when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so belief is part of our salvation. But, but I don't think it's enough. Because I think 
in all of my experience, in my 40 years on this planet, I know one thing, that's it. That at some point in your life, you will have an experience that will take all that you believe about God, challenge it, and demand more. It's those experiences where your perspective is limited. Those times when you've prayed and it wasn't answered, and if it was even a good thing. It's those times where you were a good person and you followed all the rules and yet bad things happened to you. It's that time where uh, you are doing your best and you've made all these changes and yet you're dealt another bad hand in life. And I think that's difficult for us because most of us get through our life relatively easy. We get through our lives, we have clothes on our back, we have food in our bellies, we drive a car. Most of us live in a nice house. According to my seven-year-old, we only live in a decent house. I was dropping him off for a play date the other day and we drove into this really big subdivision at nice houses. And he said, mom, these houses are awesome. I was like, yeah, they are. He said, are we poor? (laughs) Well, son, I spent the next three minutes as I looked for the house trying to convince him why we would never want to live here. Like, look at how small those trees are. Nobody wants those kind of trees. (laughs) So we just live in a decent house. But you see, most of our lives, we have this false sense of control because everything we want, we can get on our own. But it's those moments in life when we find ourselves in a situation that doesn't make any sense, that challenges who we believe God is, and it's not enough. Because in those experiences, we have a decision to make. Will we go out on the other side of that experience with better belief, worse belief, or no belief? But I think today there's a better way. I think faith takes everything we believe about God, who he is, all those things, and it takes action, and it trusts God. And it says, God, I may not be able to control this in my life, but I'm gonna trust you anyway. And here's what faith looks like. Faith is when you cannot control the outcome of chemo, but you praise God through it. Faith faith is when you cannot control what job opportunities arise for you, but you pray and trust God until they do. Faith is when the people around you might not believe in you, but you know God has created you for a plan and has a purpose for your life. Faith is when you want to know why, but it's trusting God in the unknown. And I think that that kind of faith can change everything in our lives. Amen? Faith knows that in every experience, we get to choose how we will, how we will respond. Joseph had this great faith It wasn't his experiences and having a good attitude or trying harder. It wasn't that that got him through, it was his faith. That's great for Joseph, you might be thinking. But I don't know how I can have faith in a God that allows fill in the blank. It's hard to trust in a God that we don't always see. When our experiences don't match who we think God is. You know, the reality is, is Joseph didn't deserve any of that stuff that happened to him. 
chances are you don't deserve any of the things that have happened to you. I wrote the end of this message when I was flying out west to California. And I, it was a very early morning flight, and I had a window seat. And that always makes me think of Julia Gulia and The Wedding Singer. And so I really want to take advantage of that. And so I lifted up the shade, and I expected to see like these little daubs of land and to marvel at God's creation. And what I saw were mountains. I didn't know. We were flying over mountains. And they were so big. I felt like we could touch them, which also ensued a panic attack. They were snow-capped, and they were majestic. Sometimes in my life, when I'm honest, and I find myself with this limited perspective based on my problem, I can't reconcile who I believe God to be in my situation. And it felt like, like that mountain, that God is this daunting, looming being. That is ma as much as I try to understand him and make sense of it, I just can't. Or I try to scale the mountain or, or go around it, it's always in my way and I just can't figure it out. And the reality is, is there's nothing very comforting or inviting about that, right? Sometimes I say, who would want a God like that? I think faith is full of mystery. Remember? It's being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's what faith does, is it takes all the mysteries, all the things we know about God, and it takes action, and it trusts who he is. And it says, I may not know everything, God, but I trust in who you are. And I trust that maybe the mystery that I need an answer for, you can't give me because maybe my brain just can't handle it. There was a story of Job in the Bible and he went through awful things. And at the end of his journey, he said, God, your plans are too big for me to know. And he was okay with that. Faith engages the mystery. It accepts the mystery and it trusts anyway. I grew up in a very broken family. My mom had me when she was a senior in high school, and I think that's why she named me Keisha Lorraine, which is a breakfast food. Keisha Lorraine, you ever had that? <laughs> she cannot trust her to name me. That's a hard life, right? And when I was four years old, she took me and my sister and decided to start a new life without my dad in it. And as a kid, I always wanted my dad to be in my life. Every kid does. My mom would meet my stepdad, and he actually had been in church before. But we were first church people. Just like B.O. Church, I'm so grateful for a church that loved my broken, small family, and invited us into their homes, taught us about Jesus, even though we were really messy. I'm so grateful for that. Because at some point, I had a faith that changed my life. And the greatest thing is my husband and I have been married for 15 years. And because of this faith, yeah, we can celebrate. That's a long time these days. <laughs> but that we were able to end generational sin that had been passed down from generation to generation. Because of God's redemptive work, we are different people today. But my whole life, I longed for my dad. I wanted him to be in my life. And 
I thought maybe if I was better, he would wanna be there more. Maybe if I was good enough, he'd wanna spend more time with me. I couldn't reconcile as a kid why, why a dad just doesn't have as much time as you think they should have for you. It made my life really difficult. It, it made my relationship with God really difficult. Like how can I trust God as father when, when my earthly example is not perfect? I went to a lot of therapy, okay? And here's what I know today. That my dad did the best he could and although our relationship looks different than what I might hope, it can still be really great. It was two years ago when my dad called me. I remember exactly where I was standing in my basement and what I was wearing, because I'm always wearing sweatpants. So it was sweatpants, and he said, hey, Quiche, Quiche Lorraine, uh, I have cancer. And uh, it was cancer that will someday take his life. My entire life, I wanted my dad to experience faith like I had. For my entire life, it felt impossible. And I'm a pastor. <laughs> I never thought God would ever help my dad to have faith. Like, that is never gonna happen. I'll just kind of pray about it and believe you could, but I haven't seen it yet. And so I began to pray because I knew that I wanted God to experience, my dad to experience God's goodness in his life. And so each week at Be Hope Church, I would share the live stream because we say sharing is caring. And if you're watching online today, I want you to know that there is a great online team that's there to welcome you, to pray over you, tell them your story. We wanna know who you are. Well, unbeknownst to me, my dad started watching every week Be Hope Church's live stream on Facebook all the way from Michigan. And then one day I found out because somebody from the online team said, hey, Keisha, your dad was watching in Michigan. I was like, are you sure? <laughs> that's literally what I said. I was like, it's not my dad. <laughs> that's, not, that's not true. He said, yeah, because he said, hey, it's Keisha's dad. And I was like, well, that's embarrassing. <laughs> he watched every week. And I would call him and, and he would, we'd talk about what we talked about in church. And he would ask questions about God and he would ask questions mostly about Pastor Brad and like, what does he eat? What is his exercise routine? Is he really a good guy? Yeah, dad, he's good. Let's talk about other things. <laughs> and then last year on Easter, my dad watched. And at the end of the service, when we prayed the salvation prayer, my dad accepted Jesus into his heart for the very first time, amen. You see, I thought it was impossible. God didn't. And it was two months later when my dad called and said that his cancer had spread to his lymph nodes and his spine. And if you've ever faced cancer, you know that that's never good. He was sad and I was sad. He said, do you think your friends at church could pray for me? You guys are all my friends. I was like, yeah, dad. Dad, we're gonna pray. That was on a Monday. And on that Friday, my dad had a PET scan to see what, what organs it was impacting. And, and he called back and he said, Keisha, the doctor said my cancer is gone. <laughs> it's impossible, right? I know some of you are thinking, well like his doctors. I said, dad, what did the doctors say? He said, the chemo worked. Ain't no chemo working in four days, dad. 
My dad said, my dad said, no, my God healed me. Amen. Yes, we should always celebrate the God of the impossible. I have to say this, I don't understand all of God's miracles. I know some of you are desperate for God to do a miracle in your life and you're waiting. I don't know why he chose my dad. My dad said, Keisha, why? I don't deserve this. What I know is that God heals people for his glory. And that today as I share the story out of faith and not out of bragging or anything like that, it's so that your faith may increase. That through the sharing of my dad's story, someone will make a decision in their faith because they will believe in the God of the impossible. They'll hold on for just a little bit longer. You see, belief said in my life, wow, we're so lucky. This happened, he's healed. You better be good or you might take it away. But faith said, God took everything in my life, all of the moments of brokenness, all of the moments of distance, and he used it to bring us to this very moment. And I don't know if I would change anything. And perhaps the greatest statement of faith in the Bible, Joseph says these words after 40 years of waiting. Chapter 50, verse 20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, Joseph knew God as a redeemer. Faith knows God as a redeemer. That God will take all of the broken things in your life, the things that caused you pain, the things that were meant for your harm, and God will use it for something bigger than yourself. He will heal it. He will give the pain new meaning. He will give you joy and replace the sadness. You see, he will give you peace as you wait that transcends all of your understanding, which literally means you can't understand why you're peaceful. Faith as, as a, in a redeemer knows that God knows suffering. I know that because as we read Jesus's story, the night before he goes to the cross, he's praying to God and he's crying out, take this cup from me. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And as Jesus cries out to God, he is met with silence. He would suffer a death he did not deserve. And I think that's important because in that moment, church, God descended deeper into the pit than we may ever know. He wanted us to know that he is a God who knows suffering. He wanted us to know that he is a God that is with us through it and he's experienced things that are not fair. Our God who is a redeemer also wants us to know that that's never the end of the story. Because in the greatest act of redemption of all time, God used everything the, me the enemy meant for evil, all of the sin, and he conquered death when Jesus was brought back to life. No matter what pit I find myself in, I keep finding God there. He knows my suffering. He says, you're not alone in it. 
Today we're gonna do something a little different. I know some of you like to skirt out of here a little early, beat the pickup line, get your table at Bob Evans, I don't know what you do. Maybe you sign off online because you're like, all the good stuff's over. But I'm gonna ask you to stay. Because I think God wants to speak to your heart. You see, I think some of you know a lot about God and now's the time to make a decision. So would you stand with me? What do we do now? How do we have faith in a God that is a redeemer? For some, it's time to believe. To believe that the God of the impossible wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to do miracles in your life. For some, you know so much about God. You spend a lot of years learning. Today's the day for you to actually trust him to have faith that takes action and trust. You see, some of you are finding yourself today at the bottom of a pit. And as you look around, all you can see is the problems that surround you, and how you can't get out, and you want help. That help is available to you today. So we're gonna use this space as we sing this song as a prayer of our heart, that we would make a decision to have faith that we would increase our faith. You see, oftentimes I sing this song when my faith feels really tired. And it says this, God is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. When everything is around me is shaken, the rains come, the wind blows. I've never been more glad. It makes no sense. It's that peace that transcends all of our understanding. Why? because we've built our life on Jesus. Our life has faith in Jesus and he's never let us down because God has been faithful through generations. Be Hope Church, the same God that was faithful to Joseph wants to be faithful to you today. And he wants you to know, why would he fail you now? He won't.